0: Well, welcome to the Grace on Tap podcast. I'm Mike Yagley. And I am Evan Gertner. Uh, Well, We're going to be talking a little bit about different Lutheran Reformation documents and uh, talk a little bit about the, the history around them, what what made them, why did they come into existence, uh, what happened afterwards, and, and maybe how that plays out a little bit over
1: the long term. It's going to be fun. It's going to be casual, and it's going to be about history, but not just history, the theology, and then how all of this plays out in the Reformation time, and still is a reason why we want to talk about it today.
0: And don't forget, it's also going to be about about beer. Uh, today's beer, we're going to have a featured beer in, in every episode, and today's beer is Shorts Brews uh, Autumn Ale, which is uh, actually pretty delicious. I'm it really is a great beer. It. I'm really enjoying it. Well, let's Let's get started. Today, we're, we're not really going to be talking. Uh, here, we just went through the whole process of talking about all the stuff that we're going to be talking about, which are Lutheran documents, but there are really no Lutheran documents in today's
1: discussion, right? That's right. The first episode is going to be more about leading up to our first document that we'll look at at the next episode. Right, right. So, uh,
0: I guess, stand down on the Lutheran documents. Well, you know, if you, if you got out your Luther's works or... Or maybe uh, looked anything up you can you can put that away now and, and we're just going to be talking mostly about the the Catholic theology and, and also the societal structure you know what was it what was happening in 1517
1: that really started the ball rolling on the Lutheran Reformation mm-hmm. and 1517 is not a starting point. it is a part of a stream that's flowing and while as Lutherans will look at, October thirty first, fifteen seventeen, is this momentous date. What we'll find out today is that there was a lot leading up to that moment, and even it might be that that moment of October thirty first might not be as important as we thought. So was that like the first Halloween? Was that the big deal there? I, I you know, did they go trick or treating? <laughs> Maybe that's right. He, Luther's stopping by the castle church doors, hoping to get some candy, and while he's there, he stops <laughs> off with the ninety five theses.
0: I guess the Catholics call it a trick. We call it a treat, but that's the, so the, but basically October 31st is the date that historically has been given for the date that Luther nailed the 95 theses and the 95 theses are basically some, some thoughts, right? They're, they're like positions that Luther thought that he should, that he was willing to dispute with anybody, any comers. And he nailed those ideas onto the onto the church door supposedly onto the church door in Wittenberg.
1: Yeah, so the castle church doors was a place for debate uh, topics to be posted. It would have been the bulletin board uh, and a spot for everyone to walk by and say, ooh, what's the interesting topic for today? let's let's get started but, by talking about some of the the social structure that's in play there. So Martin Luther's born in 1483 okay and his father is uh, a farmer. Moving forward, going to become a minor and, in fact, will become representative with five other guys representing the minor interests when they move to Mansfield. So he's born in Isleben. The next day, November 11th, he is baptized. He's baptized in St. Martin's Day. That's where his name comes from. Oh, okay. Okay. And in Martin Luther's time, there's really three social classes. You've got the royal ranks and those you don't just break into. Uh, Later on, there's going to be a lot of selling. The the nobles are going to figure out you can make some money by creating new positions. But for Luther's time, no one really enters into the royal rank except by being born into it. Well, the the one thing that people need to remember
0: is that the the classes, when we think of classes, we think of upper class, middle class, lower class, that sort of thing. But that's not exactly what's going on. And I mean, you could have somebody with a noble name really being a farmer
1: or being very much in debt. It's yeah. The class structure isn't as much about wealth as by position, responsibility, and, and maybe you could even say point of influence outside of your local family.
0: So that's a little bit different than when, when I think, you know, the, the term that they used back in the day, back in the 1500s and Luther uses this term a lot. So, and I think it's real important that we sort of get ourselves our heads around this, is the idea of the estates. Mm-hmm. Estates are a little different than classes, right?
1: Yeah, right now when I think of the word estate, I think of some large property up on Long Island, uh, maybe off of Oyster Bay, and you've got this big estate. Estate, You have a pretty good uh, imagination going right up to Oyster Bay. That's and then, right. I, I, I could cow. imagine driving there on the, the Northern State Parkway or something like that. But here's the thing for Martin Luther's time period. Estate is describing a position of responsibility. Okay. Okay. And so one would be born into uh, a place, maybe just as a farmer. Your responsibility is just to farm.
0: So that's that's in the laborer estate, right?
1: Yeah. There's a that's the lowest level of estate and that's more than just farmers right it, it would be the so you'd have the farmer you'd have the merchant and you'd have this growing class especially in the 16th century the growing class of people who will buy and sell and also be able to have enough capital to loan out money and so among this merchant class which would be farmers and everybody you will have some tremendous wealth okay. so we don't think of the merchant or this this farmer class as as just low as in low income because there will be the ability to gain income lend that money out and then that's going to actually be an interest with Albert of of mine's we're going to find out when he borrows a lot of money and he's got to find a way to pay it back so
0: but this is all in and you know I'm going to I'm going to make that you know this is all in the quote unquote lowest class yeah as far as the lowest level of responsibility to other to the community, is that basically the way
1: to think I of think it? I think that's one way to think of it. So then the next class we have would be the clergy. Okay. And in the clergy class is the most... Uh, Greatest room for improvement of social standing. Because anyone, as they enter into that clergy class, has the ability to move up in standing. And we'll find even Martin Luther, when he enters into that clergy class, he's recognized by others for his ability. And he moves from a friar to a priest to a professor. And in each of those positions, His previous family standing isn't as important as to what he's able to bring to the church.
0: He was thinking prior to joining the friary, he was going to become a lawyer, which is sort of like one of the highest levels in the laborer
1: class, right? Is that? And his father was very hopeful for that. His father, Hans, was a minor, uh, trying to establish kind of this family wealth that was going to be able to pass on from one generation to the next. And having his son be a lawyer was going to greatly increase the influence of his family. So so Hans was a little disappointed in, in Martin when he bumped over to the priory, right? Oh, that was a big struggle for the family. In 1503, when Martin Luther is working on his master's degree, he's just six weeks into his training for to be a lawyer. He goes home to visit the family and he cuts himself, uh, a very arterial cut, uh, bleeds profusely, is able to bandage it, but it is a a grave reminder of his mortality, and it causes him to think about what is he doing with his life. He's on his way back to law school, and on his way back, there's this thunderstorm, lightning, and it's incredibly frightening. And Martin Luther prays to St. Anne, if you preserve me through this storm, I will become a monk and devote my life to God. He makes it through the storm. He honors his vow to St. Anne, and uh, he, he goes back, and he is in Erfurt. He sells his uh, books that his dad had helped him buy for school. And I mean, books were pretty expensive back then, right? And yeah. And so the that's first a, that's book a big he, deal. A big deal. And the first book he needs as a, a student of law is a very expensive book that his father paid for, it and he gives it away. And he arrives at the door to the the Augustinian uh, observant Augustinians with some of his friends. Yeah, and he says to them, uh, "Here are a final few things." And he knocks on the door and he says, "He, you know, he'd like to become a, a novice." And he enters into the door, and his friends wait around thinking that Luther's going to change his mind. It's a just, joke. It must be a joke. He's <laughs> going to just turn around that, and come back. That right joker, out. that Luther. Uh... So Luther's entering into the clergy class. So that's the class of. Um, a lot of upward mobility that really comes with the ability and skill to but speak it's, of it's, God's
0: word. But it's not upward mobility in financial wealth. This is upward
1: mobility in stature and in the community and in, in society, right? Stature, though, but not just in like a local village, but there's going to be movement around the European communities. And so there will be this upward mobility in the ability of a person to have their voice heard outside of their village. Okay. Okay. So, so then... So the the, the role, then what's the highest level? So then you've got the nobility. Right. And, And the nobility, even within the nobility, there will be a certain number of ranks. And so in Germany, the highest rank is going to be the Holy Roman Emperor. Okay. And then below the Holy Roman Emperor, there will be seven people that have a vote. On who the next emperor is going to be, and they're known as electors. Oh, so there's only seven of these guys throughout all of Europe, right? All, all, well, all, so all, Holy all. Roman Emperor, which is is going to be Spain, and it's going to be Germany and Naples. Okay. And that's where the Holy Roman Emperor has his power. So, okay, okay. And the at the time of the 95 Theses and the approaching of that... Maximilian is gravely ill. People are so. Who's Maximilian? He is the Holy Roman Emperor at the time. So
0: he's the top dog at
1: that point. He's the top dog, but everyone's kind of knowing his time in this earth is short. So you have to make sure to keep every elector kind to you, because if you burn that bridge. You're not getting elected. So it's it's a little bit
0: like the as politics, right? I mean it's it's just sort of like trying to make sure that you know, oh I, I want the I want the unions working for you know, to vote for me. I want to it's sort of like a mini version of that. Only instead of like thousands or millions of people, you've just got seven folks you've got
1: to keep. Seven folks. With. And for Luther, his noble Frederick the Wise is one of those seven. Okay. And this is one of the reasons why Luther is able to be so bold in what he's going to teach and preach and write about because... Everyone in Europe needs to be nice to Frederick the Wise. Now,
0: Frederick the Wise lived basically right next door to Luther, right? I mean, he had like a little castle right there.
1: Mm-hmm. And he lives right there in Wittenberg. Right? So he'll live in Wittenberg, but he'll he'll live all around Saxony. Okay. Um, and, for instance, later on we'll hear about Warburg and Eisenach and other places. He'll have castles throughout the Saxon area that he's a part of. So the the noble class is the highest in terms of the social structure. And they also take on not just the sense of superiority, though. There's a tremendous sense of responsibility okay. to preserve and protect the church, to preserve and protect the farmers and the merchants. And so the noble class is not this class of just hide away in a castle and watch the rest of the world float by. The noble class in Luther's time takes very seriously the responsibility to preserve and protect the church and the land.
0: Okay. Okay. So so that's those are the three different and really the three estates, right? Those are the three estates. The noble the clergy, and then the laborers, and the laborers are could be very, very wealthy, and that's how they. If you're, if you have enough money, you can sort of buy your way into nobility, right?
1: Well, not as much buy your way into nobility, but buy your way into importance. Okay, there, there will be later. It doesn't happen as much this early in this medieval time, but there will start to be this selling and purchasing and buying of noble positions okay but that really at this point in luther's day the big way to get higher
0: levels of stature in the community is really through the clergy right through the, the second clergy. Yeah. the second well, the second estate right yeah so okay so so here we are we're in this this culture of of uh these three estates different people working and and Within all of this is the idea of really at the core what kicked off the the uh the the reformation was the idea of indulgences right, and so that what what indulgences are like sort of something special that the Catholic Church put together
1: right right so an indulgence is looking at the idea that everyone that does good works puts into the bank some extra grace, and that as A person is just super, super extravagant with their grace. They have enough grace in their own life to be able to share with others. And as the saints enter in heaven, they find out that they have had done enough in their faith and in their love for God that their good works can be shared with others. So it's like
0: a treasury. I think it's a treasury of merit. Is that what the Catholic Church used to call it? Do they
1: still call it that? I don't know. I'm not sure, but this notion of a treasury of merit is that there is enough to share with others. So if you're short and you don't have enough, if you do a few certain things, you can get some of the deposits that are in the treasury of merit to start to be credited towards your account.
0: Well, let's take a few steps back on the whole idea of the treasury of merit and indulgences and really start talking a little bit about where indulgences came from, the history of indulgences, because that has its own history, right? Right. And it was really sort of a relatively new and undefined idea. It's a lot of let's say rough edges around it in the era of the Reformation, which is really important because Martin Luther thought that well, this is a great time for us to work together with the Catholic Church and within the Catholic Church and define this. And so let's, but first let's take a few steps back two there there's really two streams of thought that go into the idea of indulgences the The first one comes out of the uh the the ancient tradition of excommunication right so so it, and excommunication is actually paul
1: talks a little bit about excommunication in the bible yeah and you have uh in, in Luke. Uh, I mean, in Matthew 18, you've got Jesus talking to Peter and and the disciples about if a brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Um, If he refuses to repent, bring two or three witnesses with you. And if he refuses to repent, bring it before the whole church. If he still refuses to repent, uh, to turn away from his sin, to consider him outside the church. Right. And, And so now if someone's outside the church, how do they get back in? Right. And right. if someone has done something so grave, so mortally wrong about humanity, how how what recovery is there? There's this
0: excommunication, and it really is this mechanism for bringing people back into the church after they've been excommunicated, which is, that's a Catholic term, but, you know, it goes back to the biblical idea. Of... Well, and
1: Lutherans will use the term excommunication as oh, okay. well. Okay. And it, it really is when someone, through their gross moral misconduct or uh uh, pernicious preaching and teaching of false doctrine, or if anyone through their public shame refuses to repent and turn away from the they've done wrong, their actions have considered themselves outside the church. So excommunication is just outside the community.
0: So, outside. so we moved. So somebody's outside of the community, and now it's they they want to get back into the community of the church.
1: Right. And, and the concern is not only for this life, but the grave concern that is ultimately played out by this idea of an indulgence is what is happening for my eternity. And not only my eternity, what is happening for the eternity of those I have loved who have already died? Oh, okay. Yeah, the idea of purgatory, which is a whole
0: different... That's also a relatively... Well, we'll we'll get into that in a minute.
1: Indulgences is all playing into this idea of if I sin, I will receive forgiveness, I will receive grace, but there's still a temporal consequence. And in this life... I will have to make satisfaction for the things that I have done wrong. I have to make it right. And I may make it right. Uh, There could be things in the sacrament of penance in Luther's time. Uh, You would have someone, they would make confession to a priest. The priest would hear the confession, declare to them forgiveness, and now give them instructions for what they can do to show the genuineness of their repentance. So, so the, the the critical term
0: there is satisfaction, yes. right? That's that's a that's actually a technical term within the Catholic Church. There's the the the, the acts of satisfaction, which is really means something concrete in the Catholic Church, especially in the
1: 1500s, right? To make things right again, right? To to, to uh, a meritorious work of satisfaction is, is done to demonstrate the integrity of your repentance. And the idea is if you do not go forward with these works of satisfaction, then the whole question of repentance and forgiveness is completely thrown into doubt. Yeah, it's sort of like, psych, right? Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Psych. You, um, you, We thought you meant it, but now we think maybe you don't. Right, And right. so everything's taken back. Okay. And, and this becomes then... I'm, I'm aging myself with the whole psych thing. Oh, huh? It still works, though. <laughs> because I, but... This, the, now, indulgences, what if you haven't done enough? And there becomes this growing concern that I have sinned, I have repented, I've received forgiveness, I've done works of satisfaction, but have I ever done enough? Okay, and then indulgences are so, sort of meant to sort of fill that gap, right? To answer that worry, have you done enough? Right. Here, do this extraordinary thing and you will receive an indulgence. And for much of the time period up before Luther, an indulgence wasn't something you purchased. It was something that you received by doing a holy act.
0: Well, supposedly, at least what, what I've read is that the, the whole idea of indulgences, the first indulgences went to those people who were going to fight in the holy wars. Uh, uh, really, it's the Crusades. Right? Yes. And, and so, so let them know
1: it's worth it. Go do this and it benefits you not only for this time, it will benefit you for eternity. So it was uh, those guys who are going to go fight in the Crusades get this indulgence. And it's,
0: it's a, I mean, they're putting a, their life on the line for this thing. And and so off they go. Right. And then there was, they said, well, you know what? We're going to open it up a little bit.
1: Right. And right. They, and so an indulgence could be received by going to holy sites. And in 1510 and 1511, Martin Luther has to go to Rome. There's a dispute within the Augustinian order, and he has been designated by one side of the dispute to go and present their position in Rome. And while he's in Rome, he goes through the whole cycle. Of all the things that one would do when they're in Rome, to go to the holy sites, uh, to be on your knees in certain spots, and he would do the act, he'd, he'd have his act registered, and he'd get the stamp of approval, and he'd go to the next site, he'd have the checklist, and he did the checklist, and through it all, he's becoming more and more discouraged, because he sees that these works are not done through faith, they're done out of just getting the checklist done. So, so the, he, he recognizes, like this. Is, there's a, at least within himself, there's a selfishness that's
0: driving it rather than, than the, a pure heart that's driving these acts, right? So an
1: indulgence which was supposed to be a recognition of an act done in faith becomes just recognition of an act. And the faith element becomes more and more eroded from the foundation of the act. Okay. And as an indulgence becomes less about one's faith and becomes more about the act, then an indulgence is not recognizing the faith that's in your heart. It becomes recognition of works that you are doing. So that's
0: really fundamentally... Well, now, Luther's original problem with indulgences wasn't that deep. Right. uh, Early on when he, I mean, it was starting there. There were a couple of lines in the 95 theses that sort of touch on
1: that. His struggle with indulgence becomes how they become separated from repentance and they become separated from faith and they become things that help a person focus on their own works. And he imagines that if there is this treasury of merit that's enough to be given out, it should be given to those who have a heart of repentance and faith. Um, and it shouldn't just be given to those who do the work. It should be given to those who have faith. So let's let's talk a little bit about the Catholic idea of penance. The, the
0: idea of indulgence is actually sort of wrapped up in the idea of penance. Of right, penance. so the
1: sacrament of penance is rooted in this order of confession, of sin, to receive the forgiveness of sins, and then to do a, a meritorious work of satisfaction to know that your repentance was genuine. Now, the word penance is coming from, in, in Latin, this word repentance or metanoia, which is a Greek word, not to put a lot of language into this podcast. Okay, I'm, I'm
0: having a beer with that one. Yeah,
1: you know, I, we should have a drinking game. Every time <laughs> I bring up Greek and Latin, we got a drink from shorts uh autumn <laughs> male. But it, it in Martin Luther's time, when someone heard the word repentance, they did not hear it as to have a heart that turns away from sin and turns to trust in Christ. They heard the word repentance as do something. Okay. okay. So penance becomes not faith and forgiveness and trust in Christ. Penance is what are you doing? Well, there's really three parts to the Catholic idea on repentance. And actually, I, I pulled out the the
0: Catholic Catechism, because I don't want to screw this up. You know, I, I want, to you be, want to be fair. I want to be respectful to to Catholic theology and all this, and uh, and at least I'm going to go back to what I've read about Catholic theology on on penance in the 1500s and what I've been able to find in today's uh, Catholic Catechism. Very similar, but a little bit different. Uh, the at least what I've been able to read on on the way catech or the way penance worked in the 1500s was there were three parts to it. There was the, the first part, which is a verbal confession of your sin. You had to verbally say what you did wrong. And then the second part was to have a true contrition in your heart. You had to really feel bad about yeah, it. Right? Sorrow for your sin. Sorrow for your sin. So you gotta feel bad about it. And and then and that's and then there's the third part which is the uh um, is acts of satisfaction to actually physically show or to make right what you've what you've screwed up. Right? Yeah. And so that that's now the, the modern when I was reading the Catholic Catechism, they they have three parts also but they have confession, absolution, and acts of satisfaction. So they don't really get into the whole, okay, what's happening in your heart anymore? They, 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 that's, and that was sort of part of the murky waters that, that was problematic
1: in the 1500s, right? For Luther, going to confession was the way to preserve himself for eternity. He thought every time that there was a gap between confession was more likely of a chance of him experiencing the dangers of hell. So he would go to confession because he was afraid of death. Okay. And so confession was a way to again become a part of the church. Every time he's away from confession is could be a time he's away from the church. And so even though he may be walking around the uh the Augustinian uh monastery there in Erfurt he is gravely concerned if he's away from confession he's away from the church and so he and this actually it becomes a positive for him later on in life when he says the life of every christian should be one of repentance of daily repentance now but he doesn't see that as a burden later on he sees it as a thing of reflection that we are like Luther's last words before he died, we are all beggars. Right. We are all beggars at the cross. And for him, later on in life, every moment of repentance is a way to see he relies on Christ. But that's not the case early on. Repentance is a reminder you need to do more.
0: So the way the way I understand, and I, I would welcome any any Catholic listeners out there who could clear this up for me, but the way I understand from my reading of the Middle Ages view on on penance, was that it was actually you go through and you confess your sins, right? You have contrition, but that's not enough. But that act has closed the gates of hell. Right, so that so you know the dogs of hell are at bay, right? Yeah. But but you haven't opened up the gates of heaven yet. So there's like this middle ground you're sort of stuck in.
1: You're still experiencing the temporal consequences for what you've done, and you need to make amends for all those things. And that may be done here on earth, or there may be this time after death where there'll be yet still a cleaning. This place called purgatory, right? right. And purgatory is this notion, just to put a good construction on it, that in the presence of God is only holy. Is only only perfection, only perfection. perfection, So if I die and I still have um, in my life consequences of sin, then I have to get those cleaned. I have now that cleaning could be fiery, it could be torturous, but I need to get clean before I get to heaven. And so indulgences are an answer not only for my own life, but what of those that I'm concerned about who have already died? So then we get to this this struggle of indulgences are largely related to faith and works. And then Luther has some questions of how important really is faith when granting of indulgences. Maybe only works are being looked at. right? And still, though, it's related to uh, hearts of faith and works of love. And then we get to this issue that's starting to brew um, in Germany. And there is this man of Albert, of Brandenburg, and he purchases... The position of Archbishop of Mainz, and it is tremendously costly to purchase this position because the Archbishop of Mainz is one of the electors, and so Albert wants this position.
0: Oh, so really, this is a power play, right? Oh, it's
1: so- a huge power play because then he is not only the Archbishop of Mainz, the leader of the Church of Mainz, but Mainz and that area, the it does not have a noble um, executive. The Archbishop of Mainz is not only the leader of the church, he's the leader of the land. There's tremendous mixing of church and state for Archbishop of Mainz. Oh, I didn't know that. And so he has the power to vote for who the next Holy Roman Emperor is. But to buy this position put him in tremendous debt to the Fugers. And he's got to find a way to pay back this debt. Okay. Meanwhile, Rome is building, 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 and they don't have enough money for everything they're building. So they're, they're, this, is, this is all tied up with the building of the Sistine Chapel, right? Yeah, so, and, and St. Peter's Basilica. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. More St. Peter's Basilica. So, now, so the Pope offers Albert a deal. To help recover the cost of your debt, you can sell indulgences. And so this selling of an indulgence is a new thing. It had always been related to a work of faith. And now it's something a person doesn't even need to have faith about. They just have enough coin. Well, this is gets back into the
0: whole idea
1: that we were going through a minute ago on
0: the three stages of the Catholic um, act of penance in, in the 1500s, which is confession, contrition, and acts of satisfaction. Well, the basically the one there were a couple of big changes that were made specifically for uh, people like john tetzel the 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 uh, indulgence vendors right and so they had they had extraordinary powers quote unquote extraordinary powers given to them and one of their extraordinary powers was that they said well you know you don't really have to hear everybody's everybody's confession you can, you know, the, it can be done in a anywhere, any way, anyhow. So you could have a big group of people. People could be calling out their confession in a big group and you could, or whatever. It could be, there was not the standard rules about it's a confession. Cut. It's a shortcut. And then there was a second big shortcut that they came up with was that they said okay contrition eh, that's a little bit tough you know because contrition is supposed to be at least in the ancient catholic doctrine and i think probably today it's you know that you feel contrition because of love for god so you feel bad about your your evil works because you love god okay that's what it's supposed to be but the they said well you know what there's there's contrition but there's sort of like contrition light right and that's going to be called we'll call that uh it's um uh, oh what's the name of the term um but the basically if you feel fear and so instead of love now if we can so you know so tetzel is coming into town and we'll talk more about tetzel in in the next episode but tetzel really if people felt fear then they that was all that was needed so, it's so, a big difference between the, uh, the standard Christian, Catholic doctrine
1: and what was happening with these indulgence sellers. And the indulgence sellers were not allowed in Saxony, where Frederick the Wise was the noble. Okay. And, and so that meant that in Wittenberg, the indulgences could not be sold. Frederick the Wise did not want indulgences to be sold. In Wittenberg, Now, this isn't because Frederick the Wise has a great theological opposition to the selling of indulgences. It's because in Wittenberg, Frederick the Wise has a tremendously large collection of relics, which he will bring out on certain holy days. And by viewing devotionally these relics, a person would receive the benefit of these meritorious works connected to these relics. And Frederick the Wise recognizes that if people can buy indulgences, they won't need to visit him and his relics. And uh. so Frederick the Wise is not allowing the sale of indulgences because he wants to keep the flow of people going towards his relics. Uh. So now Ducal Saxony, which is Saxony in Germany, but it's split. A cousin of Frederick the Wise is the leader over there. And Ducal Saxony, though, is allowing the sale of indulgences. So people are going from Wittenberg across the Elbe River, and they're buying their indulgences. And then they bring them back into Wittenberg and tell Luther, hey, look at what I got. And, uh, of course, all the struggle with Luther is that the people have shortchanged a life of repentance and faith in God and have found the ability that all you need is enough fear and enough coin and you've found your way into eternity. sounds sort of familiar, but
0: <laughs> I won't go there, actually. I'm going to stop myself there.
1: Yeah, so, to be able to buy
0: your way into heaven. Right, right. And uh, if you feel if you feel scared enough, then you, you have enough coin, then
1: you're in. Okay. And the sale of indulgence, you know, if we describe indulgences in the best construction possible, let's just imagine indulgences were a good thing. Uh, this is hard for me to imagine, but just imagine is. What the good thing would be is it encourages good works. And it was, the idea is faith and works done together were meritorious. Now, right. but for Luther, even at this time period, maybe he's ready to say that's fine.
0: And he was, I think.
1: Yeah. I think for the most part, he was okay with all this. He, this he loved the idea of people being encouraged to do good things. Right. But when indulgences are disconnected from faith, like what he experienced in 1510 and 1511 in Rome, and when uh, good works become divorced from faith, Uh, like what he's experiencing when people go buy indulgences, then he's got a grave concern. In fact, the sale of indulgences is not just about faith and good works being divorced from one another, but faith and good works just being divorced from everything and coin being enough. And I mentioned coin because, you know, Tetzel was famous for describing that the drop of the coin in the treasury was enough to release a soul from heaven. Uh, there's, there's,
0: actually, there's all sorts of stories about Tetzel that, uh, again, we're going to get into next time because he's, he's sort of a colorful character. Uh, he was a good salesman.
1: Uh, he, he, a was, good
0: he was a really good salesman. So and then the last part of all this that Luther had a problem with and and actually the modern Catholic Church I was actually reading some 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 writings from modern Catholic theologians on John Tetzel and they said you know he really didn't do too much that was too too awful until he started talking about purgatory and and so the idea that the now this is actually something that started uh, in, in, by Pope Sixtus in 1477. So it's only, you know, less than 50 years before, before the Lutheran Reformation, Pope Sixtus says that, Hey, you know, we have, uh, uh authority and, and it's an intercessory authority over, over purgatory. That was a relatively new thing. And Tetzel was, was taking that and using it to its, its full advantage,
1: so then this indulgence has the ability to free friends and relatives from all of their suffering in purgatory. So that, that those who have been uh, struggling in the pains and cleansing purity thing that's happening in purgatory can find freedom. And Tetzel is offering this, this freedom. And now, you know, regardless of how we may consider indulgences, how inviting that would be if you know someone you've loved. Who is struggling could be freed from their struggle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can really sort of put your
0: yourself in the feet in the shoes of these in the sandals of these these folks who are are uh, uh, you know paying this money. You know, so so this is sort of the backdrop. This is the, the the backdrop to to what Luther was. Now Luther really had a problem, a huge problem with Tetzel's teachings on on indulgences for purgatory. That was probably the biggest issue. He had, uh, although and and when you read Luther, he was talking in his his later writings, he talks about himself being a papist, you know, and he was he was on board with most of this stuff. If not, I'm not going to say all of it, but really most of it and was very a very dedicated Catholic at this point. But he had real problems with this concept of of the indulgences
1: and the way specifically the way indulgences were being sold for people in purgatory. And so we're we're starting to come to the conclusion of our first podcast here as we're talking about how grace is on tap and we've been describing indulgences, we've been describing the sacrament of penance and and this contrition The the sadness over sin and the works of satisfaction one would do to demonstrate the genuineness of faith and to make uh, payment for the temporal consequences of sin. And the questions that are swirling about this time period leading up to 1517 are are related to what and how does the church help people no longer be afraid of death? Right. And what hope is there after death? And even the sale of indulgences is rooted in how to bring people relief from the fear of death. I think for me now, death seems still kind of far away. Um, Occasionally, I might hear about someone who I love and care about is suffering, and I have experienced death of those I care about in my life. But my own death doesn't seem that near to me. And yet, in well, and that was a different situation. I mean, these folks who were in you could 15... get sick in the morning and be dead in by night because of some bacteria that the has no answer. The plague, and the, and... The, the
0: plague, was hitting right around the same time. I mean, this was this was this was a, a period of time where death was right at hand all the time. You know, which you know makes me want to have another beer. But that's, that's,
1: well. Let's, let's set that one aside. How do we prepare people for death? That's a question that indulgence is really dealing with. And after they die, uh, what hope is there?
0: And, and one of the things as we walk through the, the way Luther tackled all his issues, he always kept in the back of his mind, or really at the forefront of his mind, what does this mean for the common folks and their facing the eternal future? And and so they they he really focus that's why the Lutheran theology really focuses on grace and why the bo- podcast is called Grace on Tap because it's it's more of a an idea of the the hope that is is found in 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 our in our theology rather than than the the fire and brimstone that, that Tetzel was using.
1: Right, to know that the grace of God is sufficient and is the power of salvation, as Paul would say for the Jew first, but for the Greek also, to know that in Christ and in the promise of Christ and holding on to the work of Christ and trusting in everything that Christ has done, that there is enough merit in the work of Christ that I can hold on to Him and I will be saved. And this entrance of Christ as Savior is a big move in the reformation because largely for luther before this time period christ was a judge he is the one that come death is going to decide have you done enough and if you go
0: to some of the, if you have uh, if you go to some of those old cathedrals in europe you'll see on the you know the 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 stained glass they'll have christ and they'll have these two lines of people and they'll be pointing one to hell and they'll be pointing one up to heaven. And and it's sort of, you know, the it, 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 Christ was really proclaimed as the judge.
1: Right. And that was sort of this is the, the idea of Luther really turned all of that on its head. And it turns the basis by which he will do the judgment on its head. Uh, We we will confess and we will continue to confess that Christ is the judge of the living and the dead. Yeah. And so we're not going to dispute that Christ is the judge, uh, but what we're going to do is talk about on what basis is that judgment built on?
0: Right. Right. That's what Luther really gets into. Well, I think... I think that's about I uh, we we could we could keep going but I think that we're we're ready. Yeah, I already finished my beer, but I'll will actually I've got a little swig back here. There we go.
1: Um, I've enjoyed Grace on Tap with you, Mike. I look forward to the next one as we start talking about the 95 theses and more specificity and and, and look at how there is the the pregnancy of hope in those ninety five theses as we look at a life of repentance and faith, and how Martin Luther is calling upon the Pope to use the wonder and joy of the grace of God to bring freedom to people from their fear of death
0: and i before we go i 'd like to say thank you to uh i guess first of all, I want to say thank you to josh our our sound guy and uh, Beautiful Maria, who is uh, now Evan has all this stuff in his head, but at least uh, you know I need I need some help, and I have um, a research assistant Maria who's going to be helping me out pull all this data together, and then finally I want to say thanks to Skip Knox uh, from Boise State University who wrote a great article on uh, on the on the structure of society in the in the 1500s right around the area of the of the Reformation. So. Uh I think that does it and uh we'll we'll be seeing you again in a couple of weeks
1: looking forward to it